Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sacred City Life podcast. This is Pastor Justin Dean, pastor at Sacred City Church in Davenport, Iowa. And today I am coming at you with episode number 23. And we're going to be talking about uh, just some of the stuff that's going on in our world today. Um, You know that the United States of America is pretty much on fire right now. Um, Tempers are flaring. Uh, There's rioting in the streets. There was even been rioting in Davenport, Iowa, um, just a few nights ago. And I've got a lot of people kind of asking me, why are, what's going on here? Why are people so angry? Why are people so mad? What, what's happening? What's different about this time than other times? And um, a lot of my white brothers and sisters are trying to understand their uh, black brothers and sisters and trying to understand how they're feeling and what's going on. And and so I thought I would do a podcast today and just giving my unfiltered thoughts and perspective as a pastor here um, of a church that desires to be multi-ethnic, uh, multicultural, gospel-centered, that we want to live in community with black and white, and we want the gospel to um, help us relate to one another and understand one another and walk with one another in life. And so... Um, I'm learning and I've been learning how to understand as a white man, as to understand and walk with my African-American brothers and sisters. And uh, if you're watching the video, you can tell I got a stack of books here. I don't know how many it is. Two, four, six, eight, 10, 12, 14. Um, those are some of the books that I've read in part or in full that I've been working through probably over the past seven years to better understand, um, this issue of, of race and the animosity specifically between black and white that we see still in our cult, uh, culture today. And for, for just, let me, let me just right off the front here, <clears throat> why are things so hot? Why are things so intense right now? Um, well, first off, let me just say that this, what's happening right now is nothing new. Um, I don't think racism is actually on the rise. Um, But we can all thank Steve Jobs for putting a camera in our pocket, giving us a phone with a camera on the back of it. Because what is new is racism and injustice is being caught on video in HD in real time for all the world to see. <clears throat> and just this month, or last month, wherever however, wherever you're at, and um, the month of May, we saw Ahmad Arbery, who was jogging in a predominantly white neighborhood and peeked into a new construction home and then continued to jog down the street, and three white men chased him down, called the police on him for because they had had robberies in the area and chased him down and confronted him and he refused to stop, um, which I'm a white man and I would have refused to stop as well, even if a guy's pointing a gun at me. And um, a tussle ensued and he was, he was killed in broad daylight and then no charges were filed until the video came out and um, a, 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 a social media uproar happened. A young black man taken uh, at the prime of his life. And then a week later, Brianna Taylor is sitting in her house 
doors locked, watching TV, and the police, armed in SWAT gear, kick her door down, come in. She jumps up. She's She doesn't know what's going on. And they shoot her and kill her for a supposedly uh, resisting arrest. And then a week later, it comes out, they were in the wrong house. Another beautiful black body destroyed, this time by the state, by the police, the, the people that are sworn to protect us. And of course, a week or so ago, the nine-minute video that was, was being heard and seen all around the world of George Floyd came out with a white officer with his knee on the back of George Floyd's neck, having him pinned to the ground in an improper uh, police procedure. And uh, that is not a proper way to restrain people. That's not a way police are trained to restrain anyone. He's already got his hands behind his back, handcuffed. And he's crying out, saying, you're going to kill me. I can't breathe. He's crying for his mother, who is dead. He, and other officers have their arms crossed watching this happen. The people on the street are crying out, you're going to kill him. He's passing out. Stop. And the shop owner is calling the police on the police. And the man with his knee on his neck, his facial expression never changes. And he shows di complete disregard for the Imago Dei, the image of God, a human being that's underneath his knee. And then they file it as he had some kind of medical emergency or medical um, problem. And that's how it gets filed with an ME until we have a non-biased um, coroner who comes in and says, no, he was asphyxiated. And so all of this injustice just compiling and bring and, and listen, here's the reality. For African Americans, this is nothing new. This is a rerun, something they've heard from their brothers and sisters and cousins and aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas. And now they're and maybe even experienced it themselves, and now they're seeing it in HD. And I think we're all seeing it. And we are all, I hope. I think we all are absolutely disgusted by it. Now, the difference more than likely between our um, responses is, let me, let me just say this. Last year, I had a very difficult season of life where I had extended myself and I had overworked drastically overworked myself and I bought a new home and I was trying to sell my other home and for whatever reason my home it took about eight months to sell and so I had to pay two mortgages for about eight months and I thought I had made a horrible decision and um, I put my family at risk and I thought I, I was at risk of losing everything well I had a f I got on vacation and I had a physiological response to that stress. Um, my adrenals crashed. I couldn't sleep. Um, I was on edge. I was nervous. I was irritable. I had a pit in my stomach. I could hardly eat. I lost about 15 pounds. Um, I had a full-on panic attack when I got back to the church. Didn't think I could preach. Um, I was depressed. 
my body was like shutting down. My adrenals were, were taxed and were shutting down. I got tests done. I was on in basically full on. Uh, I can't remember what stage I was in of adrenal fatigue, two or three. And it took a long time for my body to be repaired through diet, exercise, removing stress. But the re here's, what, here's the reality. Anytime I thought about my house that had not sold, I would go into a panic. My heart would begin to race. I'd start to sweat. I'd get a pit in my stomach. I would be depressed and stressed out. My body was physiologically responding to that stress that I was going through. Now, I talked to a friend during COVID and he basically had the same situation uh, because of some fears going on with COVID and stress at work and things. The point is, you can't help a physiological response necessarily. It's just the way your body responds. It's like a reflex. You hit your knee, your knee, your foot kicks. Sometimes your physiological responses are that way. Now, here, here's the reality. When a, when a black person watches a video of what happened to George Floyd, more than likely, they have a physiological response to that video. I pray that we would all, as Christians, when we see the knee of an officer on the back of a human being's neck and we watch him strangled, I pray that we would all, um, because we're, we're compassionate people, that we would all have some response. Some of us would be tempted to turn away. We'd say, oh no, we'd feel sad. But most African Americans, their physiological response goes much deeper. This taps in to trauma, real trauma that they've experienced themselves. They've watched brothers, cousins, uncles pulled off the porch. They've witnessed violence. They've witnessed, they've heard stories from their grandparents. And so, and then they have the fear, the real fear of this person looks just like my son. He wears the same clothes as my son. He he goes jogging just like my son. He wears the shoes just like my son. Anybody could mistake my son for this man and could shoot him and kill this black body and, and nothing's going to happen to it. Now listen, I, um, so most African Americans, many African Americans, when they see a video like this, they have a physiological response to it. And it's, it brings up wounds that's very similar to a death in the family. And when, when you have a death in the family, you don't just go, hey man, how you doing? Hey, how, how, how'd she die? What's going on? What's the facts? Can I get the backstory? Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, no. You just grieve. You just grieve with them. And I know a lot of my white brothers and sisters don't understand that. Um, and so we think it's sometimes helpful to say, well, let the justice system will play out and let's just get all the facts. And, and we don't just shut up and go, this is horrible and just grieve um, with them when this, when this happens. Um, so I, I, want, I just want to, I kind of wanted to start with that, um, that our brothers and sisters uh, in, in the African-American community are really grieving right now. And they're grieving for a lot of different reasons that we don't understand. And it's going to take a lot of education on our part if we're ever going to understand and a lot of listening on our part. And I, I hope to do maybe just start the conversation. That's all I want to do today because I'm literally, I have nothing written down. I'm just going off the top of my head. And I, I kind of want to bring some clarity to some issues for us. Some of us are like, why is this different? What's going on right now? 
Why are they? Why are black people so angry right now? Well, one, I just listed off three real reasons, and I could go back eight years and just list off the names, list list off the hashtags that they've been trying to tell us and they've been trying to show us over and over and over, but we won't look and we won't listen, and we won't pay attention, and we keep thinking they have that this, that that you know that it's a political ploy to get us to vote liberal or to get us to do this or to get us to do that, and we don't we won't just listen that it's really about black lives. That when I say black lives matter, I, I don't mean anything political by that. I don't mean anything about the organization. I mean the Imago Day in a black man and a black woman matters to God. And God finds them beautiful. And God finds them with, he says they have dignity, value, and worth just as much as a white person. And, um, and, and no one should feel weird about saying black lives matter. You shouldn't feel weird about it. Um, but... Let me just wade into this issue of racism, um, or as the, the Bible would call it, um, favoritism. That's one way. Or, um, of course, the, the, the other word I'm looking for um, is, uh, is evading me right off the top of my head, where we're showing special favor to one class or one group or one race or one color of people over another. Um, many of us repudiate racism in its most personal form. Um, there are still personal racists out there as far as they are white supremacists and they do not like black people, they do not like Mexican people, they do not like people of color, and they say outright racist things. Um, they use the N-word. Um, I, I don't need to go on and on and on. Um, most of us, if you are in Christ, for sure you should repudiate all personal racism and animosity that you have um, towards other races because we are all one human race in reality. We all come from Adam and Eve. doesn't matter the amount of, uh, you know, tone in our skin color. And, um, and the blood of Jesus has made us one. He's torn out of the dividing walls of hostility. And the things that are meant to separate us, Jesus has gotten rid of and Jesus says destroyed. And so we should love our brothers and we should seek to cross the aisles of races like Jesus did. And we should love our brothers and sisters. Now, most of us have no problem with that. We, would, we agree with that 100%. And we would even look and say, well, I'm not a race. I don't think racism is that big of a deal. I'm not a racist. I don't use the N-word. I've never heard anybody use the N-word. Um, and so we just kind of dismiss it. Well, and then there, there's these, so that's the personal form of racism, okay? But there's something much deeper that black people specifically are more aware of because they've experienced it and white people aren't aware of it. We, we're kind of blind to it. And that's what's called systemic racism. Now, systemic racism, and I don't mean to trigger anyone and I'm not trying to get political here at any ways. A system is something someone creates to get a certain outcome. That's what a system is. Um, I've created a church system, a discipleship system. And you always judge a system based upon the output. And one of my, one of the guys that I follow that list that, that talks a lot about systems, he says this, your system is perfectly designed to get the outcome that you're getting. 
So if you can look, you can look at your family system and if you've got a lot of dysfunction going on, well, then your family system is perfectly designed to create that dysfunction and to, to bring out the dysfunction. If you have a dysfunctional business, your business system is, is dysfunctional. You've created a dysfunctional system and therefore you're getting dysfunctional results. When I judge how well we're doing as a church, I'm judging it based upon the quality of our disciples. That's what I'm judging. Not our numbers, not our finances. What kind of disciples are we making? And if I'm if I'm not making um, gospel-centered, God-loving, um, um, racial reconciliation-seeking disciples, then there's something wrong with my system, okay? Well, the system... And, and we have a lot of systems. We have a political system. We have a healthcare system. We have an educational system. We have an economic system. Um, we have lots of different systems. Well, our systems are perfectly designed to get the results that we're getting. And if you look into our streets right now, we are reaping the whirlwind. We are reaping chaos. And here is what um, we need to open our eyes to. There are racial disparities built into our system. Now, we, we know that historically speaking, right? Jim Crow, segregation, slavery, we, we know that. Most of those laws, okay, that were, most of those racist laws meant to subjugate a people, right? meant to produce, to give disparate, uh, disparate outcomes, right, to have, for white people to succeed and to hold people back. Most of those, to my knowledge, have been um, fought against, pushed back, deemed illegal, and, um, and, and they're, they've been overcome in the courts, and they've been pushed back. And so we've gotten rid of most of those purposeful racial um um, things in the system that were meant to hold African Americans back. But I'm just going to speak us, us white people, right? The, the dominant culture in America, for the most part, we've built the system, right? We've built the healthcare system. We've built the education system. We've built the tax system. We've built the economic system. We've built these systems. And sometimes I'm going to give us the, the, you know, the best version of ourselves and give us the benefit of the doubt. Let's say we had, you know, benevolent purposes behind creating um, the welfare system, right, behind the, the, the public housing system. Let's say we had, we had, all, we had benevolent purposes behind the, the way that we've, or we've structured the educational system. I'm, I'm just saying maybe we had, maybe there were no white supremacists, maybe there was no racist intent, maybe all that, it was just benevolent. Okay, okay, that's fine. But now let's look and see what kind of result is being produced. Let's look at the outcome. Our system is perfectly designed to create or to get the output that we're already getting. And we're seeing African Americans make something, something like seven cents to the dollar to, to, a white, to the, the average white person. Um, we know education, the, uh, and I don't even, I don't even know if I should get into this right now, but I'm, maybe I'll just step into it because I'm not that educated in it. Honestly, I don't feel smart enough. I'm not an economist. 
I'm not an expert on our welfare system. I'm not an expert on our education system. But here's some things that I know. Banks, so, so here's a process that's racist. Redlining. Banks refusing to offer loans in certain neighborhoods or refusing to offer mortgages in certain neighborhoods. Now, that has been deemed illegal, and it's being prosecuted. And when, it, when banks do it, which they still try to do because it makes sense for their bottom dollar not to give some loans out in certain, certain neighborhoods, which, is, which, again, punishes those who live in that neighborhood, predominantly blacks. That's illegal. Okay, And so uh, I, have a, I have a federal prosecutor in my missional community said when we see those cases, we go after them and we punish them. Okay, so good. That's great. But there are some things that we built that have had, let's just say, unintended consequences. And I'm giving us the, I don't know, maybe it was completely racial intent, right? But the way that we've pushed housing and public housing and we've pushed the poorest of the poor into one part of the city and driven out business from that one part of the city or pushed them to a part of the city where there is no business. And at the time, there was no public transportation, so they couldn't get rides to and from work. And then they turned, they, and this is a huge generalization, I know. They, they often turn to drugs, and then we have the war on drugs, and we come in and we're literally prosecuting um, the, the men for these drug offenses and we're giving them outrageous outrageous sentences and they're going and now we're tearing up the, the home and now we've got fatherlessness in the home and we've got low income and we've got a lot of people who are frustrated all in one location and then on top of that uh, we know our education system is a tax-based system and so wherever you pay the most uh, property taxes those schools get the most money and so in our community, you've got Pleasant Valley and you've got Bettendorf and they're paying, you're paying more out there. You're paying more property taxes. And so you're getting brand new schools built. And in Davenport, we're closing down schools um, because the lower income schools um, can't afford. To, you know, the, 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 the tax revenue is, is not high enough and we can't afford to keep them. And so you've got low income people getting the worst possible education or no education. We've got all kind of crime, all kind of stuff going on. And we're looking at, and, and listen, I'm not taking away anyone's personal responsibility. Anyone, the grace of God can pull anyone out of it. I've seen him do it, right? Where you're born doesn't determine where you end up. We, we are in a great country and there is a lot of opportunity out here. But let's not point to a few random examples of people who've worked their way up from the streets and they've become CEO or they're standing on stage with our president or whatever and just say, see, see, it can be overcome. Let's look at the overall what's being created. Overall, what's the average outcome of these folks that are growing up in the system? And here is where you might not like what I have to say. Let's take ownership of that. We built the system. We built the system. And if we're getting racial disparities from the system, then we have to admit maybe the system is racist. I, maybe it's not. Maybe it was unintended consequences. Maybe it's all, I don't know. I'm not saying, but we can take ownership and that has nothing to do with white guilt or anything. We built the system, right? We're voting for it. We're arguing for it in Congress and Senate. And so maybe the system is bent towards the success of white America and to keep black America down. That's, that has been the result. Okay. So that has been the outcome. So based upon the out, the average outcome, I would say then, then we could admit that systemic racism is real. 
Now, I'm not saying that white supremacists built the system and that they're some kind of great white plot behind the old thing that everybody's trying to keep the black man down. I'm not saying that. I'm saying they might have had good intentions, but they their plan sucked. That's, that's what I'm saying. Their plan has failed. We're looking at it now and we could say their plan has failed. And now what are we going to do to dismantle it? What are we going to do to change it, to fix it? Right? That's, that's the question. Now, here's what my African-American brothers and sisters have been struggling under for so long. They've been in the system. They felt the system. They felt the brokenness of the system. They felt held back and hamstrung and frustrated by the system. And so they, when they see white people ignoring that, maybe we're just ignorant, maybe we're uneducated, maybe we just don't have experience, but they see white people ignoring it. They think we're just complicit. Oh, they know about it, but they benefit from it, so they're just going to stay silent. That's the reality. Now, I'm not that articulate. I am not, you know, I am not a civil rights movement guy. I, I, I don't know anything. I'm a white guy here in Davenport, Iowa, who's read a few books and talked to some friends and listened to my leaders. And I know, in one sense, personal racism is easy to squash. You believe the gospel and you repent of your racism on a daily basis. Racism is always in us, okay? Racism is always in us. The desire in us to separate people and judge people and profile people, that's part of the old man. It's always in us. So you always have to be repenting and confessing your sins and pushing back the ways we want to category people based upon the color of their skin or their income bracket or whatever it is. It's always in us. We have to be fighting against that. In one sense, that's easy. Repent, right? See it, acknowledge it, repent of it, and, and love your brother, right? Systemic, these systemic issues are not easy. You can't just post a video, right? You, you can't just say Black Lives Matter even. You, you can't just say, oh, I've got black friends and I, 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 I've got, you know, black neighbors and, and I'm not a racist. How are we going to reform what we've created? And maybe it's not us young people. You know, I'm only 40. I don't know how much of it I created. You know, some of these systems have been, been around, you know, for 50 years or more, but we can vote and we can argue and we can create nonprofits and we can work to fight and push back the injustices that we're experiencing, that we don't understand how difficult it is if you grew up in that system. You, you say, well, just get a job. Well, I don't have a car. We say, well, just buy a car. Well, I don't have a driver's license. You say, just get a driver's license. Well, I don't have a house. And it goes back and back and back. Well, I don't have an education. I can't even study for the driver's test to get the car, to get the, to get the job, to take care of my family. It's a difficult, it's difficult. It's multi-layered, it's multifaceted. And all I'm trying to say is to my white brothers and sisters, let's stop arguing that if black people would just take personal responsibility for their life, um, they could work their way out of it. Let's stop just pointing at all the negative stuff and let's start working and let's start being a voice and saying there's a real issue here and we've, we've, we've been complicit in it at least a little bit because we've been maybe blind to it and we've been unaware of it. We haven't spoken out against it and we're going to step out and we're going to step into it and we're going to push back against it. Now, 
and in many different ways. And I, again, I don't know how to do all that. And so I'm, I'm just starting the conversation here for Sacred City. I asked one of my friends, a few of my friends, what does, white privilege what does white privilege mean to you some of my african-american christian friends and they didn't go into everything i just listed they didn't talk about how you know we get to step up and we've got it good they said when another black body ends up in the street it doesn't affect you see when they see police brutality, when they see an overzealous white person chase a black body down and shoot it, that comes, they've got a long line of public lynching. They've got a long line of lying and, and police, police lying and white men lying. And with the thing that we just saw, if you haven't seen what happened in New, New York, where the, 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 a white woman gets scared or she says she's going to call the cops because he's a black man and say that he's harassing her and he's videoing the whole thing and he, she completely lied about the entire thing. They've got a long list of grievances like that, of injustices like that. And so when they see something like what's been happening on our screen, they have a physiological response to it. It wrecks them for a week. They can't think about anything else for a week. They stay up at night weeping over their sons. And we see their emotional response and we, well, here they go again. White privilege is the fact we can watch it and go, oh, that's, that's, that stinks. And go about our day. That's white privilege. And I don't know, again, I'm up here talking. I don't know how long I've been on this podcast. Um, I probably, I might've got myself in a lot of, in, in a lot of trouble. Uh, I welcome it. Send me emails. We'll talk about it. Listen, I'm not mad, especially not at our church. I'm not mad at our church. I want us to have this conversation. I want us to grow. I want us to push back darkness and fight injustice everywhere, specifically in our city. And again, you know what? And I haven't even talked about the riots because honestly, I think they're a separate issue. Maybe you could say this physiological response when it gets embedded into a system, that's what it looks like. So we have a physiological response. You ever get real stressed out when you're angry or you, you get real angry when you're stressed out, right? And you lash out at your children. Well, that, when that kind of anxiety and anger gets embedded into a system and that system has nowhere else to go, you're going to call the cops on the cops, right? And they, they, they can't trust the system. It explodes. It it's an anxious system that lashes out. And I am not, listen, I will not ever justify rioting, violence, destruction of property. But I can understand something. And my understanding of it, I can understand it and I can condemn it and I can say it's wrong. I understand it. I understand how you could be that angry. I can understand how you can feel that powerless. I can understand how you can be that frustrated and I condemn it. I condemn the response, just like in me, when I lash out at my child or I lash out at my wife. Um, I, I can understand my anxiety. I can understand my fear. I can understand the physiological response. But Jesus calls me to something higher. And the gospel frees me to respond in a different way. And so 
Um, I just want to help us understand things. I hope I do start a conversation. We can start, you can send me some questions, some emails. You can let me know. Um, more than likely tomorrow night, I'll be going to a Black Lives Matter gathering at Vanderveer Park. I think it's from five to seven. I'll be there with my Jesus over everything shirt. Uh, if you want to join me, we can beat there. I'm going to, uh, we can meet there. I'm going to be peacefully protesting, just standing there and saying the Imago Day and an African-American man matters to God and no one has the right. The state does not have a right to put its knee on the back of the neck of a citizen of this United States of America and annihilate that person in broad daylight without dire consequences. And we're not going to look away and I'm not going to look away and I'm going to declare the gospel until I'm red in the face. And the gospel includes racial reconciliation and the gospel ends with a multitude of every race and every tongue of people around the throne of God singing, holy, holy, holy. And so God redeems our blackness and God redeems our whiteness and God redeems our, our brownness. And, um, you know, God's not colorblind and we're not supposed to be colorblind. And so if you want to join me, I'm going to be there. And, uh, I would love to see you there. And so guys, um, be in prayer, be in prayer for our city, be in prayer for the African Americans that are in our church and in our city. And, Let's be a church that loves them well personally, but also continues to work to change the systems that we've created or we've contributed to or we've voted for that can undo some of this systemic racism that's been done and that we can, Lord willing, get di different outcomes for our children and our children's children. Um, I love you guys. I'm praying for you. Justin Dean at sacredcitychurch.com. If you want to send me some hate mail or some love mail, I'll take either one. I love you guys. God bless.